in the same way that the food that you put into your body becomes you, the stuff that you put into your mind becomes you as well. There's a real risk in our society of overeating, right? There's just an abundance of food. But there's also a risk of overconsumption of entertainment, of knowledge, of people's thoughts. We could feasibly go for the rest of our lives without sitting in silence. What does that lack of silence, what does that constant bombardment of information do to you? In this episode, I explore that concept, looking at the idea of a problem of overabundance and a lack of silence in our lives. I also share a chapter of my book, How to Get Your Shit Together, called Find Your Ideal Diet. So if you're looking to get some dietary tips, if you're looking to slow down and settle down and embrace your mind, this episode's for you. Enjoy. I have a sneaking suspicion that one of the reasons why there's such a mental health emergency and so many people are struggling to find connection and all of the stuff that's going on in our society is because we are putting too much into our brains. There's a massive overexposure of media, right? Think about this from an evolutionary perspective. We've never, we've never had the ability to be constantly connected. We've never had the ability to be 24-7. As soon as we wake up with voices and other people's thoughts in our ears, right? I can chuck my headphones on, listen to a podcast, listen to videos, listen to music, and never be alone with my thoughts. That's literally a possibility. While I'm driving, while I'm walking, while I'm working, while I'm working out, right? Let's take this back 200 years. How much silence would someone from 200 years ago experience? What about 2,000 years ago? What about 20,000, right? I can't help but feel that there's something... Obviously, it's this the state that we're in with the ability to constantly bombard ourselves with information and noise, literally, is new. And it's, 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 it's so new. It's, it might be so new that we are not yet able to understand the impact of it completely. People my age and younger, we sort of just grew up on TV and music and radio and videos and podcasts and everything. That's just how it is. But it doesn't mean that it's good for us. You know, there's a saying with food, you are what you eat, right? What you put into your body becomes you. But in a similar sense, what you put into your mind becomes you. If we take this analogy one step further, we live in a society now where you can get almost unlimited carbs, right? You go to a shop and you can just see on the shelves, just sugar-filled, carb-filled, pasta, bread, all that sort of stuff, as much as you can eat and very, very, very cheap, Right? You can eat as many carbohydrates as you like. But once again, from an evolutionary perspective, that's not normal. It's not normal to be able to eat so many carbs at once. There's a reason that people have cravings and they just, once they get that sugar or that chocolate or that pasta or whatever, they just can't stop. They just keep eating it. It's because back in the day, when humans first came around, such an abundant source of carbohydrates, it just wasn't there. So when you saw a fruit tree or a berry tree or honey or some sort of you know massive source of carbohydrates, 
you had to just gorge on it. Have your fill because you wouldn't be getting some for ages. These people would have been living off meat and, you know, scavenged vegetables, basically. So it's, it's, it's a very different style diet. What happens in our society when we now have an abundance of sugar? What happens to people's bodies? They get overweight, they get fat, they get diabetes. There's a whole plethora of problems. The mood spikes from sugar going up and down, right? There's something to be said about having the ability to have too much food. You know, we, we you can see there's an obesity epidemic. We literally, I think it's it's something along the lines of more people are dying from overeating than undereating. Now, it's obvious or more obvious, the, the signs of overeating, right? You can physically see it. You can see the impacts. You can see the, the, the direct correlation between if you eat too much sugar, you get diabetes, all of that sort of stuff. But I can't help draw a line to the mental side of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. What is, what, what is the overabundance of information doing to us? I've started playing around with this myself, and I'm now driving in silence. Just no silence, just letting my thoughts flow. Spending prolonged periods of time where in the past I'd be listening to a podcast or an audiobook or something like that with nothing. No music, just silence. And i got to say, when I first started doing it, it was very confronting. I realized that I hadn't let myself sit with my own thoughts for, for years, because it's, it's, you know, like there's this initial pushback, like you feel boredom, you feel agitation, you feel, oh, it's not right. And, and I know this is the case for, for a lot of people. When I talk about meditation, there's this sort of pullback because basically what I'm saying is, is you need to sit in silence for one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, however many minutes. And a lot of people, when they're first introduced to that concept, freak out. They, 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 it seems unfathomable to be able to sit with your own thoughts. Now, now that to me is, is quite scary. When I realized I had that similar sort of fear, I decided to go, okay, I'm going to combat this because you know, I need to be able to sit in silence with myself because I am myself. I'm taking myself everywhere. And, you know, whilst we live in a place and an area and all that sort of stuff where we can distract ourselves with other people's thoughts and music and everything all the time, does that mean it's good? Like, what are, what are we doing here? Are we just running from whatever's going on in our brain? A couple of little pathways down here that I want to investigate is maybe there's something to be said about giving your brain time to process everything that's going on in the day. Just silence. There's that, that, that wisdom or that sort of old-timey idea that we can just sit in stillness or sort of go a bit slower. I realize that when I'm listening to other people's thoughts, when I'm you know putting stuff into my mind, I get a bit agitated. I get a bit anxious. I, I want to do more stuff, but not in a healthy way. Not in a way that's like, motivating or pushing me down a path of success more just in an agitation way like I'm not I want to do something but then I can't quite stick to that task I want to do something I can't quite stick to that task I just oh it's just this agitation feeling 
that's not healthy. The more silence I have, the more comfortable I am just being and doing the one task, doing the one thing, and just being content in myself. I also want to consider the idea that, you know, I'm a massive advocate of, you know, putting information in. Reading, you can see the bookshelf behind me if you're watching the video, audiobooks, podcasts, all that sort of stuff. The more you know, the better, you know, the broader you are. The more information you have in your mind, the more perspectives you get to see of the world. Yeah? If you read a book that I've written, you get to see the world through my eyes a bit. And if you apply that to a thousand books, you now get a thousand different perspectives on the world. I love that. Fully, fully, fully suggest embracing it. But what I would also suggest is, is that unless you sit in silence, unless you meditate, unless you have prolonged periods of just sitting with your own thoughts, you're not letting your own wisdom develop. You're not letting the information that you've got in set and you're not allowing yourself to just sort of be and see and do what, whatever it is that you're actually trying to like whatever that we can actually see for ourselves. Uh, there, there, there's something that I'm really trying to like sort of hone in on here and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of using this podcast as a way to get to it because something doesn't sit quite right with the, 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 the avoidance of ourselves. I'm finding increasing joy from just having that silence and being able to sit and see and hear and touch and taste and smell what's going on in my life right now. Now when I'm exercising, I feel more. I see more. I'm, I'm sitting outside and I'm doing some stretches and I'm feeling and smelling the grass. It's making me more mindful and more present to the current moment. What I've realized is, is that by putting other people's thoughts into my mind, it's corrupting me and obviously, right? In the same way that food, if you put in you know, high sugar food, you're going to get fat, it'll change your body. If you put in high protein food, you'll get muscly. The sort of thoughts that you put into your mind will change you. So I realized I was listening to things that, upon reflection, are putting thoughts into my brain that just aren't, aren't that useful, aren't that positive. What benefit do I get from it? There was a video that I watched on the US Electoral College, right? What? I'm in Australia, yeah, and so, so, so what possible benefit do I have from even knowing about that? Now, obviously, like, you know, it's important to be worldly and all of that sort of stuff, but for my life, for my day-to-day -day living, what I'm doing with myself, my work, my social connections, my friends, my family, all of that sort of stuff, my online work even, other than to use it as this example... What does me having information about the U.S. Electoral College give me? Nothing. I saw another video on breaking down the a music video, right? Sort of like just sort of deconstructing what it was about. Humorous. Now it was it was funny, but it adds nothing. It adds nothing to my life other than a distraction. I'm not saying that you shouldn't use you know entertainment as a distraction. You know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use it as downtime or self-care and all that sort of stuff, because obviously it's needed. But what I am saying is that you consider that if you can't sit with your thoughts, if you haven't been sitting with your thoughts, 
should really work on that. You know, I push this almost every podcast, but meditation is a, a, a step towards that approach. And it doesn't even have to be any formal meditation. Just literally set a timer and just sit one minute. Just just hear yourself think. There's an analogy that I like that, well, it's a form of meditation as well. It's called choiceless awareness. But the analogy is basically like your brain's a, like an email inbox and you're just getting, you know, you see these videos and they just add a, add a thing to be read. You speak to people, they add a thing to be read. And you just, there's this just inbox piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. And then the next day it piles up more, piles up more. Until eventually it overclocks. And it just can't fit any more in. And that's, you know, the, the, the mental illness side of things. But what can you do about that? Well, if you just sit and just watch your thoughts, just let it come. No judgment, no attachment. You know, you'll start thinking and you'll just, just acknowledge it. Just look at it. Let it go. That process is like just processing those emails. And then eventually you process them enough. You sit enough. And this could take hours, days, weeks, years. Eventually you get to that inbox zero. You get to a state where you are clear, where you are calm, where you've processed that's something that I'm working on and I would suggest or I'd hope that people would consider doing that themselves as well. Like I said, I've, I've found the benefits of that. So I've, I'm literally just living more and more of my life in silence at times that I would play music or listen to podcasts. I'm just, just hearing myself out and I feel so much calmer, so much better. And not just that, the, the, the ruminations and the, the sort of negative self-talk is falling to the wayside, or I'm at least able to notice it more. I've started to realize that there's this voice, this chatter going on in my mind when I'll be talking to someone that's sort of telling me how bad I am or what they're saying about me, or it's giving me these sort of paranoid sort of feelings that, you know, the world is out to get me, or that people are going to be talking about me, or that there's going to be a an argument in the future and my brain sort of debating if they say this, I'll say that. Or, you know, when I go into work, something bad will happen for this. It's, it's just rumination. But the more I sit in silence, the more I'm able to see those ruminations as they come and then I look at them and address them and they fall away or they're just not coming. And this is just a lovely experience. I can't, I can't stress the benefit of that enough. So, I don't want to harp on upon this anymore. I do want to give a couple of updates, but I'm, I, I really, really feel in the same way that we need to, in our society, watch our diets because there's just an overabundance of sugar and carbs relative to, you know, our evolutionary past. I also consider that there might be an overabundance of distractions relative to our evolutionary past. And both of those overabundances might be causing us some negative consequences that we could avoid if we are aware of it and we have the discipline to do so. So a couple of updates before I share the chapter of my book. The, the, the main update is that I've started taking St. John's wort as a, basically as a medication. Now this, this is a natural herb, but it's got, it's been clinically proven beyond placebo to impact mental states. And there's some 
before you go, just go start taking it. There's some interactions that it has with medication. So please, please consult your doctor. I will put a link down below to the, the, the brand and amount that I am on. Um, so you can grab yourself some if you like, but please speak to your doctor first because there are interactions with medications and that sort of stuff. However, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sharing this is that I've found that, you know, 80 to 90% of my anxiety is just gone from taking the St. John's wort. I'm on 2,700 milligrams split in half every day, which is quite a high dose relative to the clinical trials. And I'm going to be speaking to my psychiatrist about, you know, getting the dosage right. But the benefits have been outstanding. If you like, like it, it feels almost miraculous that I can take this and I'm waking up and I don't feel this clenching tension in my belly. I'm able to just, I'm able to walk slowly. I know that sounds like a funny thing to say, but I would sort of scurry around in an anxious manner and sort of get to places sort of, you know, five, 10, 15 seconds faster. But it was all just anxiety bottled up. I'm able to sit with my own emotions far better. And most importantly, I'm able to sit with other people's emotions better. Prior to taking that, if someone got upset at something I said or just seemed upset around me, it would irk on me and I would want it to be resolved. And this isn't to say I don't want it to be resolved now, but it's more I'm able to step back and go, okay, these emotions that I'm seeing, this upsetness is on the other person. I can offer my assistance and help, but if they don't take it, if they don't want it, if, you know, it's on them. Their, their mental illness, their brain, their past trauma, it's on them. Like I said, not that I don't care, I still very much care, but I'm able to sit with it and let them be in charge and deal with it and not feel sort of weighed down by that. I'm able to sit with my own and other people's emotions. I am shocked at how, at the impact it's had on my mental state. I just feel calm. It's lovely. The only downside is that I'm feeling quite a bit more tired throughout the day. Although the longer I've been on it, the less tired I'm feeling. I don't feel that tired now. And my suspicion is that it's perhaps I'm not that, I'm not actually tired. Perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm just more relaxed and I'm not quite used to being so relaxed. There's a balance there. I've also cut caffeine, um, basically completely. I'm having tea occasionally. Um, because I realized and I recognized the, the, the spike in my mental state that whenever I have coffee, my anxiety just went through the roof and it's not doing me any benefit. But now I'm trying to find the balance between, you know, having tea to keep myself awake, but also to, you know, with the St. John's Wort and all of that sort of stuff. So St. John's Wort, massive benefit. But like I said, I'm going to be speaking to a psychiatrist to get the, the, the full depth and understanding of how to find the right dose and find the right energy levels and all of that sort of stuff. The, the the final update before I share the chapter is of my Skillshare courses. I'm constantly producing Skillshare courses. I'm in the process of making one on how to do effective goal setting and another one that I've recorded as well that I'm in the process of editing on staying motivated. So those two are sort of connected and I hope to have those out within a month from this being posted. So it's the 21st of November, 2019. So in a week or two, hopefully one or both of those will be out, maybe three weeks. So stay tuned for that. I'll put a link down below to my Skillshare courses. With that link, you can get two months free access, 
which means that you'll be able to see all of the courses. Like I said, I want to put out everything that I'm doing for free. So you can access the, I think I've got 12 up at the moment. And the reason I've sort of brought this up is that I've got, I just recently had 500 students in my mindfulness um, meditation, mindfulness meditation for mental health course. And I've had, I think, 60 odd extremely positive reviews on that course. And I'm just blown away by the reception it's getting. So if you're, if you're interested in exploring the, the, the silence of your mind and going down that path, I've got, I've got, I think four courses on medicate meditation, including a mega course, which is about two hours long with, I think five to six different, um, guided meditations. So I'll chuck the link down below for so you can check out the St. John's Ward. Like I said, get your doctor's recommendation. I'll chuck the link for the Skillshare course. Now, what I'm going to do is for people watching the video, you won't be able to access this. You can um, listen to the podcast on app. But for people that are on the app, I'm going to play a chapter of my book, How to Get Your Shit Together. Um, this chapter will be called Find Your Ideal Diet. Now, this is obviously a physical diet, but considering how, how much flawed information there is around and how many how everyone sort of throws out their opinion and how the fad diets and all of this sort of stuff and how everyone's different it's very hard to find your ideal diet so in this chapter i'll break down sort of the general principles of eating well for example if a diet suggests you're going to lose heaps of weight quickly it's it's not going to work if it's cuts out all of all of the things you're eating but you can have a little bit of like juice or like you know, one item of food for like six months, it's a terrible diet, right? What should you be eating? What sort of, how much protein, fats, and carbs should you be having? All of that sort of stuff. The idea is, is that I'm not going to suggest to you that there is an ideal diet, but it would be to suggest to find your ideal diet, what works best for you. So just before I get into it, what I'm doing now with my diet, I eat high levels of protein, high levels of fat, and low levels of carbohydrates. I don't eat added or processed sugars. I do eat fruit. I also intermittently fast until 12, um, until midday, and then sort of eat beyond that. That's where I'm at, because that's what works for me. I'm not suggesting that'll work for you, but it may. So if you're interested in um, having listened to that chapter, stay on board. It's Find Your Ideal Diet from How to Get Your Shit Together. For those on the video, catch ya. Chapter 2.5. Find your ideal diet. The food you eat can either be the safest, most powerful form of medicine, or the slowest form of poison. Anne Wigmore The food you eat makes up one of the two pillars of physical and mental health, the other being how much you exercise. Your mind and body are completely interconnected. It is difficult to remain in a sound mind when you're feeling lethargic, sick, bloated, tired, run down, or suffering from pain. You literally are what you eat. Just like a car needs clean, good quality petrol, oil, and other fluids to function and avoid breakdowns, so your body needs nutrition. It's possible in an emergency to drive a car without coolant for a while, but you won't be driving for long. Eventually something will catastrophically break down. The same is true for your body. Poor quality foods may keep you going for a while, but use them for too long and you will suffer major physical and mental consequences. Unlike a car, however, you can't just buy a new body. The effects of poor dietary choices are not immediately obvious. 
it's hard for us to see the cause and effect relationship that exists between the food we're eating now and our physical and mental health over the next 5 to 50 years. So rather than eating the foods that will be beneficial in the long term, we eat the foods that will make us feel good in the short term. We eat to feel better or to reward ourselves for surviving a difficult day. We want to take away because we don't have the time to make a better meal for ourselves. We develop a taste for processed foods that are high in saturated fats, salt and sugar. Then we start to crave these foods and repeatedly consume them. This becomes a downward spiral that is hard to escape. Over time, these poor quality foods begin to take the toll on our bodies. We start to lose energy, put on weight and get sick. In the short term, our moods can become dramatically impacted by what we eat. Foods high in sugar cause our energy levels to dramatically rise for a few minutes and then to plummet. This has a dramatic effect on our moods. We feel great when full of energy, but terrible when low. Foods high in saturated fats and salts can result in dehydration and general feelings of heaviness. The food you eat impacts your mental state, so choose wisely. The purpose of this chapter is to ensure that your diet is having a positive impact on your mental state, or at least is not making it any worse. I want to clarify that while the suggestions that follow may have an impact upon your weight or fat levels, aesthetic changes are not the goal. That being said, as mental health is often also tied to our physical image, or our perception of our physical image, I will provide you with some guidelines on how to successfully diet in a way that will safely produce some noticeable physical changes. What is the ideal diet? This is the obvious question, but unfortunately it doesn't have an easy answer. It's important to be aware that everyone is different in terms of body type, gender, ethnicity, age, personality and life circumstances. It would be ludicrous to assume that there is a particular diet that would be perfect for everyone. However, there are some general principles that everyone should consider implementing. Drink lots of water. Headaches, mental cloudiness, fatigue, tiredness and mood swings are all symptoms of dehydration that can be easily avoided by consuming more water. Don't wait until you feel thirsty to drink, because by the time you feel thirst, you are already mildly dehydrated and will therefore be suffering from its effects. There is no recommended amount of water that you should drink per day. Given all the differences between people described above, the 8 glasses per day guideline is not appropriate to apply to everyone. One of the easiest ways to tell if you are not drinking enough water is to look at the colour of your urine. It should be pale yellow, clear and odourless. If it's not, you are then either dehydrated or there is a much larger medical issue that you need to address. If you consume a glass of alcohol, soft drink or coffee, be sure to have an extra glass of water to replace what you will lose. These drinks are diuretics which means that they make you expel more liquids than they provide. This will cause dehydration. I like to drink two glasses of water in the morning and then consistently throughout the day, particularly after exercise. In total, I consume about two litres per day. Eat lots of fruit and vegetables. Aim to eat at least two pieces of fruit and five vegetables per day. This will help to ensure that you're consuming most of the micronutrients that your body needs to grow and develop. The general guideline is that the more diverse your diet is, the healthier your mind and body will be. Juice doesn't count, and I'll explain that below. Although it is possible to take steps to determine the optimal ratio of fruits and vegetables to consume, the process is terribly time-consuming and stressful. I prefer to use the colour approach. Each colour of fruit or vegetable roughly correlates with different micronutrients that the body needs. I aim to consume as many different colours of fruit and vegetables with each meal as possible ideally with each item being a different colour. 
For example, green, broccoli, beans, lettuce, spinach, and cucumber. White, cauliflower, radish, potato. Yellow, corn, capsicum, banana. Orange, sweet potato, carrots, oranges. Red, tomato, strawberry, raspberry, pomegranate. Purple and blue, eggplants, beetroot, berries. Eat as little processed foods as possible. In general, the more processes that a food goes through, the less good it is for you. Compare a freshly butchered steak to a frozen hamburger patty. The steak is consumed very quickly after butchering and only goes through one process, cooking. A frozen hamburger patty, on the other hand, requires mincing, preserving, freezing, transport, storage, and cooking. While there are still nutritional benefits to be gained from eating the hamburger patty, you would get far more benefit from eating the same amount of steak. Juice is another prime example of the issues with processing foods. The act of juicing removes most of the fiber from the fruit and leaves you with a mixture of vitamins and sugared water. The amount of naturally occurring sugar in fruit juice is about the same as that in a soft drink. This catches a lot of people out. They switch to juice for a healthy alternative, but they don't realize that they're consuming just as much sugar as before. When consumed as a whole fruit or in a smoothie, the fiber remains and is consumed. This fiber offsets the natural sugars in the fruit and makes the whole fruit consumption a very healthy option. A rule that I like to live by is to eat food that can go off. The next time you're in a supermarket, take a look at the expiry dates of the food that you're considering purchasing. The longer that it takes to expire, the more processes that the food would have to go through to ensure that it survives, thus the less nutrition that's contained within that food. I would much prefer to eat fresh fruit than canned, fresh meat than cured, and fresh dairy than frozen. The only exception to this is snap frozen vegetables and berries. If the producer picks and freezes the produce on the same day and it remains frozen until consumption, the nutritional benefits are locked in. When compared to fresh fruit that was picked early and left to ripen on the shelves to be purchased weeks later, frozen fruit often has more nutritional value. If you're unsure about what processed foods to avoid, consider applying the rules of the grandma diet. This involves looking at the ingredient list and avoiding foods that contain the ingredients that your grandma wouldn't be able to recognize as food. This will help to put into perspective just how much additives your food has. Eat healthy fats. The consumption of fat has been demonized as unhealthy for many years. This has led to the rise of low-fat skim options. The problem is that these options are high in sugar, which of course is terrible for you. Ironically, by regularly eating fat, your body will actually store less fat on it. This is because regular consumption of fat lets the body know that it's getting enough fats externally and does not need to store it on the body for future use. Not all fat is made equal. The good fats the one you should consume, are collectively known as unsaturated fats. These can be found in nuts, avocado, olives, salmon, tuna, dark chocolate, eggs, seeds, tofu, grass-fed beef, coconut, Greek yogurt, cheese, duck, and many other foods. Bad fats, the ones to avoid, are simply known as saturated fats. The main source of saturated fats come from deep-fried and highly processed foods. Eat too much and you will suffer issues with cholesterol, diabetes, and weight gain. It's important to note that a percentage of fat contained in meat and dairy is saturated. However, don't take that as a reason to cut them from your diet. Rather, consume better quality meats. Eating lots of good fat has been revolutionary for my diet and subsequently my mental state. 
I start each day with a yogurt pod. In addition to yogurt, Greek with no added sugar, it contains walnuts, macadamias, seeds, coconut, coconut oil, dark chocolate, which is 90% cacao, and blueberries. This meal is full of healthy carbohydrates and protein, but is also high in good fats. The effect is that I can eat a small serving and feel quite full for many hours. This is not the case when I eat only meat or carbohydrates like rice or pasta. The good fat sustains me throughout the day. I end up craving less and subsequently snacking less, both of which do wonders for my physical and mental health. Give it a try. Consume protein. Along with good fat, protein is vital for optimal body functioning. Low levels of protein consumption can lead to a lack of energy, fatigue, brain fog, lowering moods, and poor muscle recovery, as well as other significant health concerns. The best source of protein, hands down, is meat. However, there are many vegetarian alternatives for protein as well. These include eggs, milk, cheese, Greek yogurt, soy, rice, peas, mushrooms, quinoa, beans, avocados, seeds, peas, artichokes, tempeh, nuts, nut butters, spinach, and many more. I'll briefly talk about the recommended levels of protein consumption below, but please be aware that the process of measuring and ensuring that you're consuming enough can be a bit complex and daunting for some people. Counting protein consumption can be as stressful as counting calories. If this is the case for you, make it easy on yourself and just make sure that you're eating a source of protein with each meal. It won't be perfect, but it will certainly suffice. For those who want a deeper look at protein consumption, it's recommended that we consume 0.8 to 1.3 grams of protein per kilogram of weight each day. So if you weigh 80 kilograms, you should be consuming between 64 and 104 grams of protein. Given the mental health benefits, as well as the benefits of muscle growth, I always aim to consume towards the higher end. Please note that 100 grams of protein per day does not mean that you can just consume 100 grams of chicken or spinach. You need to look at the macronutrient content of each item first. 100 grams of chicken contains 27 grams of protein, whereas 100 grams of spinach contains 2.9 grams of protein. So if you were to eat a meal with 100 grams of chicken and 100 grams of spinach, you would have eaten a combined amount of 30 grams of protein in that meal, with 27 coming from the chicken and 3 from the spinach. This is about a third of your daily goal. The MyFitnessPal app and IIFYM.com, that's if it fits my macros.com, are amazing resources that can assist you in the process of tracking your protein as well as caloric, fat, and nutrition intakes. But as I said before, this is something that some people find extremely stressful whilst others find extremely helpful. So if you do choose to give it a try and it doesn't sit well, feel free to just add a little bit more protein to your diet each day. Satisfy cravings. There is a reason you are having a craving. Your body is asking for something that it needs. Craving means that your body is lacking a particular nutrient or mineral that is currently deficient in and is trying to let you know about it. You drink when thirsty and eat when hungry, so why not satisfy cravings when they arise? Doing so will make the craving stop. You no longer are inflicted by the mental duress of the craving and your body has the nutrients that it needs. The key here is portion control. Don't use a craving as an excuse to eat heaps of junk food. If you're craving something unhealthy, eat the smallest amount of it needed in order to stop the craving. For example, if I'm craving chocolate, I'll eat a 10 gram serving, one piece of good quality 90% dark chocolate dipped in coconut oil. 
Often this small amount of strong chocolate takes away any cravings that I've previously had, and the oil adds to the flavour. I found that it's best to wait 10 minutes before eating more of the craved food, as it can take that long for the body to register that the nutrients have been absorbed. If you find yourself craving a particularly sweet or salty treat daily, you may, in fact, have an addiction to that food. Treat this like any other addiction and attempt to change habits slowly. That means attempting to slowly reduce and eventually eliminate the problem foods. Supplement with fish oil, zinc, vitamin B and probiotics. Supplementation is a contentious issue. There is a belief that you should ideally get all the nutrients, vitamins and minerals that you need from your food. However, in reality, this is rarely the case. Your diet will likely be lacking in something. This is why I supplement each day with fish oil, zinc and vitamin B. They've all been shown to increase mental functioning and aid with mental health. I take them daily and have noticed a steady improvement in both cognitive functioning and mood as well as significant reductions in joint pain. Probiotics are basically good gut bacteria, things that we need in order to maintain optimal health and digestive functioning. I prefer to consume probiotics in the form of kimchi, kombucha and Greek yogurt as they occur naturally in each. However, you can get probiotics in tablet form as well. Of course, supplementation can become quite expensive and there is a risk of purchasing poor quality products. In addition, it is difficult to see an immediate result from supplementation. This can lead to doubting if you even need them at all. If you do choose to go down the path of supplementation, begin by adding one supplement to your diet, waiting two months to see if it's making a difference, and then adding a second one, and so on. If you add a bunch of supplements all at once, you won't know which, if any, are making an impact on your health. Finally, please consider talking to a nutritionist, dietitian, or doctor for more assistance with personalizing supplements for you. They can perform blood tests to determine if you're lacking in anything and could recommend you dietary changes or specific personalized supplementation options. Minimize caffeine consumption. Coffee, tea, and energy drinks all contain caffeine. Besides the taste and social aspect, the waking up and increased focus aspects of the drink is probably the main reasons they are so popular. The problem is that for some people, caffeine consumption can significantly raise anxiety levels. The stimulant nature of caffeine can also increase stress hormones, disrupt neurotransmitter balance, and impact nutrient levels of the body. The exact neurological mechanisms in which caffeine operates upon the brain and nervous system is quite complicated, but the important thing to note is that caffeine is a drug that impacts the brain. Some people are completely fine with varying levels of caffeine consumptions. Others are not, particularly those who suffer with an anxiety disorder. The stimulating effects of caffeine interact with the already overstimulated mental state of the consumer. This combines and can trigger increasing levels of anxiety or even panic attacks. The more that is consumed, the higher the anxiety levels. I can't have more than one week coffee per day without noticing a considerable increase in my anxiety levels. Strong coffee, and in particular energy drinks, are like poison to my mind. Consuming one small can of energy drink often causes me to suffer from panic attacks, as well as to become increasingly incapacitated by general anxiety. So what if I want to lose weight? I completely understand the desire to want to change your physical body, both from aesthetic and health perspectives. Being happy with how you look is an amazing boost to mental health, and is a great goal to progress towards. However, there are a lot of pitfalls that can trap people into wasting significant amounts of time, money and effort for little to no reward. 
the most important thing that you can do when attempting to make some changes in your diet is to change habits slowly. The food that you eat is habitual. You are used to the taste, the nutrient content, how to prepare it, and where to shop for it. Changing your diet involves changing many habits, and potentially the habits of other family members, and as such, should be taken very slowly. Although it's possible to do a complete 180 turn and switch to eating perfectly, chances are that you won't be able to maintain it into the future. Most people will slowly revert back to their old habits, or they binge on junk food for a day or two and then give up on the new diet completely. A far more sustainable approach is to slowly introduce good foods and slowly remove bad foods. If you eat dessert each night and drink a can of soft drink during the day, your body is used to extremely high levels of sugar. Instantly cutting these out of your diet will result in a massive shock to your system. So instead, start to slowly reduce the amount that you consume each day. Simultaneously adding one serve of fruit and vegetable each day is far easier than instantly adding a large bowl of salad to each meal. Please aim for slow weight loss. I'm going to repeat that because it's so vitally important. Aim for slow weight loss. A problem that a lot of would-be dieters fall into is wanting to lose it all instantly. Unfortunately, this won't work. Attempting to change your habits enough to lose weight quickly is unsustainable. Losing too much weight too quickly sends your body into a state of shock. The body doesn't know the difference between an extreme diet and a famine. It judges the conditions of your life circumstances based on what type of food you are eating and how much of it you are getting each day. If you were to cut calories and fats through dieting, your body may assume that the environment that you're living in doesn't have a consistent food source available. It may assume that you're in the middle of a famine. So when this famine breaks, i.e. your diet ends, it will want to protect you from another famine, i.e. your next diet. It does this by stockpiling fat. The body is preparing itself for another famine in the future and wants to make sure that you have the necessary fat stores to weather it. This is why people often gain back all of the weight they've lost as soon as their diet ends. Instead, aim for slow, incremental weight loss of about 200 to 500 grams lost each week. This is slow enough to be sustainable, and it won't come as a massive shock to the system. Avoid all fad diets. They almost never work. Most of the diets that you see advertised in magazines, online, or in infomercials can be placed into the category of a fad diet. Despite recommending widely different foods and eating patterns, these diets have a lot of common factors, all of which work to their detriment. You know you have a fad diet when it recommends fast and dramatic changes to your current diet with little to no mention of how to handle the transition period. These kind of transitions are rarely able to be maintained. They often involve high levels of caloric or food restrictions, often called a detox, cleanse or fast. These diets will restrict the user into only drinking particular kinds of juices, smoothies, fruits, vegetables, or supplementation shakes. They promise quick weight loss and amazing changes. This is a trick, as initially dieters will indeed quickly see dramatic weight loss. However, such caloric restrictions are impossible to maintain because it involves literally putting the body into a state of starvation. Only having juice for a month is a terrible idea. These diets are often new, have a fancy name, have celebrity endorsements, and purchasable supplements. It's very easy for marketers to leverage the power of celebrities and combine all of their pull with the celebrity's good looks and package it all in a magazine advert or daytime infomercial slots. 
These adverts promise it all and suggest that the celebrity achieves their body using the diet. This is rarely true. Most likely, the celebrity is being paid lots of money to endorse the product and actually has an army of professional chefs, dietitians, and personal trainers to look after every aspect of their body. All things that the average person doesn't have access to. Not all of the diets that you discover will be fad diets, but unfortunately, most will be. In chapter 4.9, Learn How to Fact Check, I use different diet claims as a way to practice fact checking. So please, listen to this chapter before choosing a new diet. A great way to easily lose weight is through portion control. This basically means eating everything that you are currently eating, but just eating a little bit less of the bad foods. Things high in sugar and saturated fats, and eating more of the good foods. Nutritionally dense, fresh foods, high in good fats and protein. This approach works well because there's no real change to the diet that is being consumed. The diet will still get to eat their favourite foods, they still get their dessert, and they're not restricted to particular restaurants socially. For example, if you are currently consuming 2 litres of soft drink per day, reduce it, at least for the time being, to 1.5 litres. Rather than eating a king-sized chocolate bar each day, instead, eat a regular-sized bar. If you find that these changes are making you hungry, eat some more lean meat, good fats, fruits, or vegetables with dinner. A good diet will acknowledge that the diet is only half of the weight loss process. Daily exercise is also a must. Not only will the exercise help you to burn more calories, which will lead to more weight loss, but it also has a positive effect on metabolism. Exercise will cause the body to operate better and to begin to burn more of the fat stores. Frequently asked questions. Should I prioritize my diet over other mental health concerns? The process of changing my diet is quite stressful for me. Take it slowly, more slowly than you think you should. This could literally mean just adding one glass of water to your daily consumption. No other changes, just that one. Slowly, when that extra water becomes a habit, make another small change, perhaps by adding one piece of banana to your daily meal. Go as slow as needed to make the positive changes while still maintaining a positive mental state. I suffer from an eating disorder, but I want to eat well. What should I do? Attempting to alter a diet for someone with or recovering from an eating disorder can be extremely triggering. I'll strongly suggest that you should start by speaking to your therapist or doctor about your desire to make a change. With their help, you'll formulate a plan that will help you to make beneficial changes whilst providing you with the support that you may need. I've read about a new diet option, but I'm not sure if it is a fad or if it's one that's legitimate. How can I determine if I should try it? There are a few options that you can employ to fact check a diet. I talk about this process extensively in chapter 4.9, Learn How to Fact Check. But the basic approach would be to compare it to the advice in this chapter. If you find differences of opinion, investigate the arguments supporting both sides. A good way to start your search would be to Google your diet name debunked. This will provide you with links to articles talking about why your potential diet doesn't work. Although of course it is important to realise that those articles could also be biased. Be open-minded. Perhaps you found something that works, perhaps not. Either way, just be willing to change your opinion if new information arises. Summary. Given that the body and mind are completely interconnected, it's vital for your mental health that you consume the best foods possible. You literally are what you eat. So that was a chapter from my book, How to Get Your Shit Together. 
I'll chuck the links down below so you can grab yourself a copy. It's out now as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook. I'll also put the links down below to the St. John's Watt, as well as to my Skillshare courses if you want to check either of those two out. So thanks for listening. Have a good one.